0: to the end zone
1: oh what a catch Devontae Smith touchdown
0: Alabama watch out for Mr. Robinson this kid is gonna be special and is already flashing
1: this is Chasing the Natty a college football fantasy podcast All right, welcome in everybody. I hope everybody's having a wonderful weekend and I'm glad that all of you guys decided to stop by. This is Chasing the Natty. As far as I can tell, this is the only uh, fully focused on college football fantasy show out there and we are excited to begin the very first episode. My name is Jared Palmgren. I am the host of this show and on the other side of the screen there, you can see the ever dashing Xavier Hood.
0: Nice to meet all of you. Thanks for joining.
1: Uh, So yeah, we kind of had this idea where I, in doing research, we're both, I'd say, or at least for me, I'm a bigger college football fan than I am, than I am an NFL fan, but I do like fantasy a lot. And so I was looking around for college football uh, fantasy and it's out there, but it's not nearly to the degree that NFL fantasy is. And so I started it with Xavier. Uh, we started a league a couple years ago and we both enjoyed it a lot. And the next year we want to do a whole lot more research and we kind of found that there's not, there's really not a lot of content out there that solely focuses on that. And so we decided we wanted to start this show and just the two of us for right now. We're obviously looking to expand to different ideas in the future. You got anything else you want to add there, Xavier?
0: Uh, You pretty much touched on all bases there. So, uh, yeah, there's not, not been much information, uh, Jared's probably been more analytical with uh, his approach to college football, I've been more, you know, watching games, watching players and seeing, hey, this player doing well this week, maybe I should pick him up or he looks great for next season, but you know, as I've learned over the years now, in order to win, you kind of have to have a good mixture of both.
1: I would so, agree i would definitely agree you definitely like to make fun of me whenever i spend hours and hours researching a team and talking about how they're going to be great because the numbers say they're going to be great but then they have one bad week week (laughs) one and you you like to sit there and tell me how oh your numbers didn't mean anything i'm like oh watch just watch and i'll just say that team made its conference championship last year and that was iowa state i was very happy about that one so yeah that that was a you you had a you had a ball that weekend after they lost
0: a great ball because funny story i had elijah mitchell from louisiana lafayette that's true i was like a great running back and i don't know who's gonna win this game maybe iowa state because jared's been hyping them up like for the beginning of the season and they came out and lost to lafayette i was like wow really lafayette but we of- there. We respect Iowa State's season. They had did amazing things. Too bad you know, they came up a little bit short, but
1: hey man, they yeah. got a Fiesta Bowl win. I like I I have a I have a good friend uh, who's a Iowa State fan and I cannot I can tell you man, he is I've never seen him happier than you know, what they had this season.
0: The future is bright for them definitely. They are in uh, a mid Big 12 threat now and I have to I have to pay them their respects. They're definitely on the radar.
1: So yeah, the, um yeah, so to start off this show we are just gonna have a little bit of a fun question and that question is what is our like what would we say is our league setup hot take like you have your typical leagues in fantasy where you have like your dynasty league your keeper leagues your redraft leagues every year you also have whether or not you want to do PPR what is our like hot take on league rules so David do you want to start off with that one
0: sure so I know this is a bit controversial because you know points matter obviously in leagues, but at the same time, you know, for me watching the games, turnovers determine games. And I think for leagues that don't penalize you for turnovers it's just sacrilegious because they're a part of the game. Like they could make or break, they could basically make or break your league, uh, your week to where, even though there will be games to where, I know Jared will uh, mention this to where the quarterback will throw the ball and it'll be a tip pass and it, the interception wasn't his fault but we you know me so well this this goes on this it goes on the man's stats and it is a part of the uh it is a part of their track record and it you know made a break you know that play particular play or the entire game so it should absolutely affect your week with fumbles interceptions all that should be included so just like how your defense gets points from uh you know turnovers and things of that nature and sacks and i also think that quarterbacks and running backs should be penalized for their turnovers
1: yeah for the most part i agree with you and you 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 cut me off of the pass. i was going to bring up the fact that like a lot of times interceptions are just not uh qb's fault but in order to counter that i guess i would say that interceptions should be less penalized than fumbles it's kind of it's kind of the same way that like with the qb the passing touchdowns are going to be less than your rushing touchdowns for them so it only makes sense that when they're passing the ball more an interception which is likely not even their fault would penalize less i guess my question next question for you then would be what would the optimal point like or how much should it cost like for interceptions and fumbles
0: absolutely um so, I know usually I'd say the best way to go about this because I think it's just based on how, you know, who's all in your league. And if you can all come to an understanding of like, say, y'all meet for a day and with the league manager and discuss how points are going to be deducted. So where I believe our first college football fantasy season that we had, I don't think we had turnovers. We did not. We did not. So, second year, we all came together for like 20 minutes and we had a long, Eh, well, okay, 20 minutes isn't that long, but 20 minutes yeah, of Hawks is pretty long in terms of, like, all right, how many points should be deducted? And like we said earlier, Jared brought up the point of where interceptions aren't always the quarterback's fault. Either a wide receiver will, you know, not run the right route, or it'll be a tip ball, and it's up to chance at that point. So I believe this season we had it to where it was, like, what, two points were taken off? Or
1: I believe... Fumbles were three points and interceptions Fumbles. were either a point and a half or two points I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah.
0: So I think in that point, a uh, one to two range is a good range depending on how lenient or harsh you want to be. Fumbles Dude. are absolutely like whoever has the ball, that's on you. So hmm. that burden the loads worth you know two to three points, even though like you know two to three points are crucial for a wide receiver running back, quarterback, any position on the offense it's still on you. That's 100% your responsibility. Like, you know, O-lines will break down, but that's a part of your job. Or if you Mm -hmm. get hit really hard and somebody just blows you up, it's on you to hold that ball and secure it for however long you need to until you're down. So,
1: I would agree. I did talk to, I, I brought this up with one of my friends a couple of months ago who also does fantasy. And in his league, they're actually very harsh when it comes to turnovers Uh, I believe interceptions are three points and fumbles are either four or five points. It might be somewhere in the four and a half range. And here's, here's his logic. Here's his logic. His logic was that when you do that, you cost your team at least a field goal to a touchdown. So it should cost it or it should kind of equal in value to that value. If that makes any sense. Now, obviously six points is a lot to take away and also, and you also just can't assume that it's going to be a touchdown every single time okay. that you are losing. So they basically decided on three points as a minimum you have to lose because you're you're at least costing your team three points on that drive and then fumbles they made just a little bit more because again like like you're explaining like in, in my position is fumbles are almost 100% of the time on the player who fumbled. So yeah, I I personally don't disagree with you, but I do know a lot of people who are very big on like turnovers shouldn't like, because they, a lot of people argue that turnovers are random in every game and it's hard to predict like who's going to have a turnover and everything, but that's part of fantasy is the unknown.
0: Like you unknown because absolutely. uh With turn I mean, it's, it's kind of like the same thing with how the football in general is moving to where offense is the sexy thing now to where everybody wants to see points, points, points. And, you know, some people like me will go back to the old days of like, I want to see a good game. I, you know, I'm not always expecting like, you know, for Alabama or Georgia to have pick sixes every single time, which would Mm -hmm. be great for my defense. But I do expect defense to be played. We can't have, you know, teams just acting like, you know, sorry to slander on the big 12. You have improved, but we can't just have shootouts in every game. Like games have to be won. You know, outright just playing good football, not just whoever scores the most
1: points. I would agree, and I think you have the point you're also kind of making here is that fantasy should reflect the product on field as much as it can. And yeah. like you said, turnovers are a part of the game. So if you're just absolutely taking that away from the game and the cost of that from your players, you're not actually playing a fantasy football yeah. game. So yeah, I w- I would definitely agree with you for the most part there. Uh, my hot take is I am not a fan of PPR leagues at all. I know it's a huge, I, I know a lot of people that love PPR leagues. They love kind of statting out like, who, like how receptions are broken down. Because to me, that is one of the easiest things to kind of try to predict is who's going to get the most receptions versus who's going to get the most yards because yards can depend on so many other things. But you can kind of predict who's going to be targeted the most. And I understand that, But to me, it is crazy for me to think about that if a player in a PPR league catches the ball but goes for zero yards, it is worth the same as a player in a non-PPR league going 10 yards and catching the ball. Which, again, to me is crazy because obviously one of those doesn't help the team on the field at all. You're, You're back to where you're at. You're at a second and 10 or something like that. The other one, you got a first down, or you're at least a lot closer if you were like if you lost yards in the previous play, you're a lot closer. Like you're helping your team. And to me, that's what fantasy should reflect is how much a player contributes to their team scoring. Absolutely. And so yeah, that's that's why I'm just not a big fan of PPR leagues. I'm a bit more okay with half PPR leagues. Again, I'm still not a huge fan of just receptions at all, getting points, because again, if you have If you got a reception for zero yards, you didn't help your team at all. I don't know. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat with you to where I'm not the biggest fan of PPR leagues. Like, you know, I think players, uh, your fantasy should reflect what's happening on the field. And a reception is not always going to be, or yeah, basically a reception is not always going to end in positive yardage. Like you will have screen passes or bubble screens, things like that nature that will get you, you'll lose like negative two yards or, 10 or things like that to where you're not helping your team or advancing the ball down the field so at this point it feels like you're just playing a like a different game to where fantasy football should be football not you know it's just uh i don't know who can get the most receptions because that's just like playing a game of catch then and you're just recording like i said uh who can get the most receptions? so I just want to see, you know, as a a direct reflection of what's on the field, what players are doing, and if it has a positive impact.
1: I'll give credit to it that it does kind of add a very interesting dynamic in terms of running backs, because I will say it does kind of add that value to running backs that can both run and catch the ball out of the backfield, which granted does reflect the value that those players do have on, on the field. And I think that's an entirely fair argument to make there. Um, and I'll also add the, the one PPR league that I did join last year because I did want to see what it was like, was the, I, I won that entire league and it wasn't even close. Uh, I, I I don't like PPR leagues, but apparently I'm good at them. So, um, yeah. So with that, uh, anything else you like any other, like just mini fantasy hot takes you think you have that you just want to add in here real quick. If not, we can move on to our next segment.
0: Uh, hot takes, man. Uh, I think uh, we mentioned this earlier, probably maybe a couple of days ago. I don't know if you remember. To where finding a tight end, especially nowadays, if you can identify a top five tight end in all of college football, because at this point, tight ends are hard to find. That's probably like next to kickers on your lowest priority. But if you find, like for this season, if we take example, our one of our friends that was in our league, he got Kyle Pitts. I
1: would say we'll talk a lot about
0: him later. Yeah, we will, absolutely. But if you can identify that number one tight end in college football or number two or number three, they can be as productive or even more productive as um, more productive than a wide receiver or a running back. And that can help out, that can impact your your fantasy league drastically to where it could make or break your season to where you could either not win a game be close to the playoffs or make it all the way to the championship because of one player, which I think we should, you know, do yeah. a lot more research on tight ends to see, Hey, I should, I absolutely target this guy and make this reach in the draft where there's second, third, fourth round. If there's a guy like a Kyle Pitts out there.
1: Yeah. I think, I, I, I think that's entirely fair. And the one thing I'll say about tight ends is you're not going to find a Kyle Pitts every year. Like, I don't think you're like, like obviously Kyle Pitts is a very again we'll talk more about this later but Kyle Pitts was a had a very very special season but tight end to me especially if you're stuck in the position especially if you're in a larger league like 12 14 teams if you're stuck as the guy who's having to do research on who like which tight ends are hot which ones aren't and you're streaming a tight end every single week that's research and time taken away from Um, making sure that your other positions are up to snuff versus if you were to pick up like a Kyle Pitts last year or a Sean Dykes last year and, or if you want to even want to talk about NFL, NFL fantasy, like if you picked up Darren Waller or you had Travis Kelsey every single week, you never had to worry about tight end. You just plugged and played if they did well, fantastic. They didn't do well. Well, you didn't expect them to not do well. So it wasn't like you were making a bad decision. So if you can find that tight end, I would agree with you. Yeah, they're like the cherry
0: on top of your fantasy week. Yeah,
1: put time and effort into your tight ends. Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, I think I can't really think of any other uh, hot takes I can think of off the top of my head, so I guess we'll just move on to the next segment, and we're going to talk about Transfer Portal news from this past week.
0: Yes. It's
1: time for Transfer Portal. Alright, so the first person that we're going to have up on the transfer portal news is Alan Bowman transferring from Texas Tech to Michigan. So last year, Alan Bowman had 150 completions with 232 attempts, which is good for a completions percentage of 64.7%. This equated to about 1602 yards passing, which was about nine point or excuse me, 69 yards per attempt. It was good for 10 touchdowns and 7 interceptions. He had uh, 10 rushes for 3 yards rushing and 0 touchdowns. He was a 3-year starter there. Uh, He will be a grad transfer this year, which makes him immediately eligible at Michigan. Uh, He was the QB1 for Texas Tech through Week 3, was injured in Week 4 at Kansas State, and was kind of on and off again through Week 9 at Baylor and regained his starting role at Oklahoma State. And one of the big things with Alan Bowman is that he has had injury concerns pretty much every year that he has started. I don't think he's made it through an entire season without getting injured for several games. So, Xavier, what's your gut check on this?
0: Oh, man, my gut check. Well, Michigan hasn't produced a quarterback in the years of John Harbaugh or Jim Harbaugh. Or, ooh, Jim yeah. Jim Harbaugh is the correct name. Jim Harbaugh. And so... I don't view this as an upgrade, but I view this as a, a serviceable player to plug in for the time being because they are they they uh, they are they are having players to opt, not opt out but transfer out. They lost quarterbacks. Shea Patterson's no longer there, who I didn't have highly touted. But from the few yeah. games I saw Alan Bowman, there were flashes of, like, him being able to produce at a high level to where – if you are in a league that doesn't count turnovers, they're like I'll take the Texas game for example. He threw for uh, 52 passes and completed 31 per, uh, 31 completions and had five TDs, which was would be an amazing fantasy week. And for Tech uh, for Michigan, they're kind of in that weird rebuilding uh, phase. Well, they're always in a weird rebuilding phase ever since Jim Harbaugh's been there, but they have the talent to do it. So I, I think this is somebody to look out for to where this could be a potentially, you know, major high impact transfer if things go well.
1: So yeah, I'm, I'm. my gut check is that, first of all, I when I first read the news, I thought it was weird. Like I did not, like I was predicting Alan Bowman to go to a group of five school where he could kind of sling it around like he did at Texas Tech. Um. But he is going to Michigan, and I do want to take a look at the Michigan QB room that they have there. So, Dylan McCaffrey, gone. Joe Milton, gone. Joe Milton started the year, if you remember correctly, but kind of, things kind of quickly fell apart for them there. He was benched for Cade McNamara, who started the rest of the season, and was serviceable, I'd say. he like um, I don't think he actually had a single turnover throughout the entire year. Now, he didn't win games, but I don't remember him causing any turnovers I I have to double check myself on that but so he's a safe option I'd say he's not going to win you games but I don't think he's going to lose you games either along with that Michigan has JJ McCarthy who's a five-star freshman QB coming in this year and I from what I've heard he will be pushing for that starting job uh, just based on early reports and Alan Bowman I like Alan Bowman a lot I think he very much fit Texas Tech, especially while Cliff Kingsbury was there. I don't think he fit quite as well with Matt Wells after Cliff Kingsbury left for the NFL. And so I think that's part of the reason why he's transferring out. Grant, he's also a grad transfer, so he might just also be looking for graduate school. And so, which from what I've heard, Michigan is a great graduate school. And, but again, like Xavier mentioned earlier, he produced quite well while he was at Texas Tech this past year. He, when he was given a full start, like when he wasn't injured or wasn't being brought in and out with um, Henry Columbi, who is the backup QB at Texas Tech, he averaged 22.7 points per game. And if you take out his final season game, which is against Texas or which is against Kansas, which is kind of a weird game, like the final score was like 16 or like 19 to 16. Like, both sides were just not having a good day. But if you take that game out, he was averaging 28.9 points per game. So this is a guy that can produce, I think, given the chance, he can absolutely... Again, this is me kind of speculating at this point. I don't have a lot of information coming out of Michigan camps or anything like that or Michigan sources. My gut check is that we will see Alan Bowman start the season. That is my gut check. But he strikes me as the kind of guy that will start for several games... And as the season goes on, you're gonna see JJ McCarthy kind of build his way up into earning that starting role. So I think Alan Bowman, if he can work well with Josh Gaddis, who's the offensive coordinator there at Michigan, who's I believe going into his third year at Michigan, might be fourth. I'm not entirely sure. I need to double check that. But he he's he's been there for a couple of years at this point. So he's built a system. And if Alan Bowman can work for that system, and I don't think Jim Harbaugh and I don't think Jim Harbaugh and Josh Gadsden would have brought Alan Bowman in if they didn't think he would. So I think you're going to see Alan Bowman start and J.J. McCarthy kind of take over halfway through the season. What do you think, Saber?
0: Yeah, so uh, a little bit more about J.J. McCarthy. Uh, I was wondering like where he came out of uh, high school, and apparently he went to the IMG Academy, which produces a lot of elite talent that goes off to college, produces at a high level. You have star names like... Kyle Trask, Kellen Mond this past season all came out of the IMG and he's from Illinois originally. And then he transferred to IMG and for the, uh, in six games, he completed 91 uh, of his 157 passes for 1400 yards and 16 touchdowns, which is really good for a high school quarterback. Him being taught as a five-star, I can see why. So I think Alan Bowman now, as we talk about a little bit more, I think that battle between Bowman and McCarthy will be good to where, you know, they will both push, push each other because obviously as a quarterback, you don't want to lose your starting position. Mm-hmm. So if Bowman does start the season, I don't think he'll give it up easily unless McCarthy like just raises himself to another level as a freshman and comes out the gate swinging. So I can see Bowman... You know, it's not like uh, if you're in a deeper league and you need a QB to stream because you have a bye week or something, and Bowman's still starting. I think it would be an option to explore depending on your pool. But I think, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, but that's that's all up to you know your league and your uh, how the season's going. So,
1: yeah, I think that's fair. And I think another thing we have to consider with Michigan is who's he throwing to. like, does he, have the, does he have the weapons that he'll need? And I do think, now, again, Michigan, as you kind of mentioned before, has not produced a ton of fantasy-relevant uh, players in the past. And, but I do think that with Josh Gaddis, who was the passing game coordinator, at, or the wide receivers coach, excuse me, at Alabama for several years, I think he's perfectly capable of building a system and I think he's just now getting some of the players that he needs into his system. So I wouldn't be surprised if Nico Collins, who's been there for several years, might have a some, might have somewhat of a breakout season. I'm not saying draft him yet, um, but I'd say I wouldn't be surprised if he worked out well. And then you got two other true freshmen coming in that I think are potential stars. You got Donovan Edwards, who is a running back coming in. He chose Michigan over Georgia, and I can't remember the other school, but. Uh, the fact that he chose to go to Michigan over Georgia, I think should tell you a lot about how much he's committed to Michigan. And then you also have Xavier Worthy, who is a near five-star freshman coming in, um, who I, from everything I've heard, Alabama wanted him really, really badly. And again, he still went to Michigan. If you get to, Again, you see these players declining going to Bama, declining going to Georgia, and sticking with Michigan. I think that should tell you a lot about the talent that they have and I think you got potential breakout stars there. And I think, again, if if Bowman gets to start, I think there's plenty of possibility for him to become fantasy relevant, which would be crazy for Michigan to produce a fantasy relevant QB.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, All right, I guess with the next one, we'll move on. Xavier, I apologize to you. The notes are a little bit out of order because with Bowman leaving Texas Tech to go to Michigan, I figured it would only make sense to go to the guy who is now going into Texas Tech, and that is Tyler Shuck, the QB from Oregon, going to Texas Tech. So last year, Tyler Shuck was the starting QB for Oregon in all their games. He had 106 completions for 167 attempts, which is a completion percentage of about 63.5%. This is good for about 1,559 yards, which was also good for 9.3 yards per completion. He had 13 touchdowns, six interceptions, 66 rushes for 271 yards, which was good for 4.1 yards per carry. And he got two rushing touchdowns. Again, he was a year one starter. uh, But by the end of the season, he's kind of battling for playing time between himself and Anthony Brown. Uh, Yeah. So Xavier, what's your gut check here?
0: Oh, man. Going from the Pac-12 to the Big 12. uh, I don't see... Well... Considering the Pac-12 and the short season that they had, and for uh, you got a small sample size of what Tyler Shutt could do, and he seems like a good kid in terms of his ability to throw the football, and so I think with the Texas Tech style of offense, Big 12 spread offense, that if there's not a fresh, a five-star freshman coming in, or four-star that's you know maybe looking impressive in camp, he'll definitely be. He should, uh, I expect him to uh, be a week one starter.
1: Yeah, I I looked at the QB room. The only one that kind of stuck out to me was Henry Columbi who took over for Alan Bowman last year when when Bowman went down to injury. And the only thing, as far as I can tell, talent wise, these two aren't really comparable. Shuck was a four star coming out of high school or high four star coming out of high school. Uh, Columbi was a three star if I remember correctly. The only thing that I could think possibly would keep Columbine in that starting role is the fact that Columbine has followed Matt Wells to Texas Tech. He was with Matt Wells back when Matt Wells coached at Utah State. And so maybe that connection there kind of keeps him that starting job possibility. I'm not entirely sure. And you kind of mentioned that uh, Tyler Shuck uh, going to Pac-12 and everything. He averaged, when, again, when he was starting full-time and he wasn't kind of breaking down passes and everything with or he wasn't breaking down uh starts under center with anthony brown he was averaging 28.19 points per game when he got the full oh. starting job like he he could put up points and if you're telling me he's going to a big 12 school that isn't quite the air raid that it was in the past with mike leach and um cliff kingsbury but even so matt matt was i think i know is smart enough to know that he's got weapons there with like eric azucama so Roderick Thompson, you, you got to let this man sling it. I'd say my personal opinion, I think Tyler Shuck at Texas tech is worth drafting this upcoming season. What do you think?
0: I, I agree with you hundred uh, percent. I, I would maybe go in the later rounds of your draft. Okay. So, because you know, uh, it, it depends see. on how deep your uh, league is. I'm going to gonna look up real quick.
1: Defense. Sorry. I, 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 yeah.
0: Oh yeah, I was gonna say twenty-eight points per game. Uh, when he was starting under center for uh, without splitting uh, basically snaps with the other QB at uh, Oregon. Twenty-eight points per game—that's pretty serviceable for a QB if you're not in like maybe if you're in a ten to twelve man league. That that is very high value. Mm-hmm.
1: So. I have Tyler Shuck currently rated as the thirty QB 32, which would mean that in a two QB league, he would be the first QB on your bench. Likely. Yeah. So that's where I have him right now. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you a hundred percent. And one thing I also did kind of want to bring up here now is the Oregon QB room. What did he leave behind? I guess we can talk a little bit about that. You have Anthony Brown, who was starting at Boston College for several years, grad transferred to Oregon, did, never got the start, but again, at the end of the year, he was kind of splitting carries with Tyler Shuck. You saw it a big time in the uh, Pac-12 championship, as well as the Fiesta Bowl, where Tyler Shuck was kind of the guy that they had go, bringing the ball down the field, but as soon as they got in the red zone, they would switch over to Anthony Brown, and he would be the one throwing the touchdowns and stuff. So clearly they have a lot of confidence in Anthony Brown to score. But the bigger name I want to bring up here is Ty Thompson, the fresh freshman QB they got coming in. And from every from everything I've heard, this man is coming in with Marcus Mariota levels of hype into the Oregon program. Xavier, what do you think about that?
0: Hey, if he could put up stats like Mariota, then wow uh that would be amazing for that program especially on the up and up with uh, mario crystal ball and him deciding to stay with oregon just the implications of t- if ty thompson can just replicate or even like scratch the surface of mariota levels of production would be amazing especially as a freshman so i think that's somebody to look out for to hear more news about because if everything what from what you're hearing about from camp and from what we hopefully see but if I don't know if they're going to have a spring game this year, but if they do, that's maybe one to watch out for. I
1: would definitely I would definitely agree. So next person we're going to have, uh, we're going to talk about here with the transportal news is Keon Henry Brooks, 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 excuse me, transferring from Vanderbilt. He has not announced a transfer destination yet. So last year with Vanderbilt in their God awful abysmal year that they had, uh, he had 120 carries, for, which was good for 494 yards, uh, 4.1 yards per carry. He had two touchdowns. Here's the bigger thing to me, 28 receptions, 258 yards, which is good for 9.2 yards per reception. And so another thing I, I want to bring up here was fantasy consistency was big with him. When I looked him up to see like what he did this past year, Xavier, if I told you that you had a running back, whose lowest points throughout the entire season, all the games he played, and I believe they played nine games, was 7.5 points. And he his highest point was 27.2. And This, this is the low and high points. And he averaged 14.53 points a game, as well as four, point, four to five receptions per game. Would you consider that person pretty valuable in fantasy?
0: Absolutely. Uh, considering, you know depending on your leagues, like for, uh, I say as much as I do, but considering on your leagues, you're not always going to have that, you know, great, you know, if, if you're not going for that big back in the first round and you want to wait later on for like maybe a flex or serviceable option, I, I would absolutely tell him as a, a valuable running back, especially with the implications of him transferring, depending on where he goes and if his production goes up from going from an abysmal Vanderbilt team with, I don't know, God awful problems all around the mm-hmm. whole program is just a mess. But if he actually goes to a program with an actual system and O-line and good coaching plan, I could see him being very valuable and might even be shooting up into like mid round territory, possibly.
1: Again, to me, it's crazy. Cause again, again, abysmal Vanderbilt team and your low point was seven, 7.5 points, which was 75 yards in that game. Like, that to me tells me like this man clearly has a lot of talent and wherever he goes it's going to be he'll probably make an impact now i'll tell you the, the rumored teams that he's looking at currently he's gonna st- the rumors are he's gonna stay in the sec and the three schools that are rumored are auburn mizzou and tennessee what are your thoughts there
0: oh oh uh, man I uh- it would be an interesting. I'll go. I guess team by team. With I'll mm-hmm. start with Auburn because, yeah, you know, <laughs> I was really high on Tanks Bigsby coming into mm-hmm. the season, and after a couple of games where I saw that he wasn't getting as many snaps, I made the dumb decision of dropping him. Yep. <laughs> and Jared, mm-hmm. Jared saw that things were changing over at uh, in Auburn for the War Eagles, and that he was going to get more snaps. And he did you just say
1: the Auburn more. War Eagles?
0: Yeah, the Auburn War Eagles. I'm not going to respect their name. Doesn't matter. (laughs) Whatever you want to call them. War Eagles, Tigers. We don't know what your mascot is. Just stick to one. That's like (laughs) calling Georgia the Georgia Billy Goats. Whatever we were at one time. Good Lord. Dogs now. But... A split backfield between brooks and tanks bigsby would look amazing i don't think there would be any drop in what tank would do i think they would both play on their uh
1: strengths and it would i mean they're they're both great pass catching backs yeah and so have both those options out there to uh kind of not confuse defenses but have defenses thinking you got two backs back there if you Either one of them can carry the carry the rock, and either one of them can pa- catch it out of the backfield. That's now four options the defense now has to be considered with just those two backs, and I think that would be an incredible combination for Auburn to play around with.
0: Yeah. Now on to uh, we're gonna we're gonna go tier by tier. On to Mizzou, they're losing okay. the. Um, ooh, I'm sorry about that. Uh, they're losing Larry Roundtree, which was four years. Uh, He's been there all four years. He produced a lot these past two years, and he's mm-hmm. getting a lot of yards, a lot of touchdowns. But I remember you mentioned earlier they had two guys, or maybe just one, that was getting pretty decent amount of receptions as well.
1: Tyler Brady, uh, yeah, he's he's going to be somebody I will probably be drafting in my later rounds because he, while was the backup running back for Mizzou, he was, I believe, one of their top three targets in terms of receptions which to me if you can get a dynamic player like that who can both catch and run and the team goes to them a lot and especially now that those carries are being vacated by larry roundtree i think he he, he could be easily a breakout candidate for this next year if keon henry books went there i'd probably put his stock down I, I would probably put Brady's stock down a little bit more and depending on what i saw in the spring game if mizzou has a spring game depending on what i see there i would have to reevaluate their stock at that point i'm not sure how i would feel about him going to mizzou yeah
0: well i will say this mizzou definitely surprised me this season i i don't think their record uh reflected you know the improvements that they've made over the years i would agree so i think it's an up-and-coming program i think you know transfer and uh Players and uh, high school players should be excited about Mizzou and what they're doing with that program. So I don't think it's out of the I don't think it's uh, as much of a reach as may, maybe some other people would think for him to uh, possibly go there. Mm-hmm. So I think, like you said, maybe I'll drop Tyler Brady's stock down, maybe bump uh, Kenya Henry Brooks up a little bit, or either yeah, just have him at the same as uh, when he was at Vandy. But I think that's still a pretty serviceable option. I didn't say. But lastly, oh,
1: Tennessee. that's right,
0: yeah, Tennessee. Tennessee. Oh man, I I could go on a whole rant about Tennessee, and
1: I uh, mean, the trash can is now more relevant than ever.
0: It's honestly, I think they need to get it they need to put the trash can in a big a bigger trash can. It's a dumpster <laughs> in Tennessee. But I will say this, they. Uh, for all the players that have transferred out of Tennessee, they've kept their O line is still pretty solid. What they have, Cade Mays, uh, Eric Gray is now gone, which was a pretty
1: uh, Tyler anti- Ty, Ty Chandler gone me. as well. Also, so. I don't know if you caught this news, Cody Brown, their four star running back that they brought in this year, is now transferring out. Wow. So. Uh, also, by the way, I think he is rumored to go to Mizzou. So I don't know if that also factors into your uh, Mizzou take. Okay, but. I just thought I'd throw that information out there. but
0: So if Brooks decides that, you know, going from Vanderbilt to Tennessee, which I don't even know if it would be an upgrade or a downgrade or you're just at the, the pits of hell and just internal pain. But I will say this. Tennessee this past season, they they had players that were able to put up points. Eric Gray was a serviceable serviceable back. Palmer, the wide receiver, was a great receiver. Going on to the draft, can put up points as well. Ty Chandler, with more reps, he probably would have been, uh, you know, legit target, uh, you know, waiver target for some players, and probably was for some people as well. So I think Brooks' value would uh, shoot up for me a little bit, considering the workload he would probably take on. To where Mm -hmm. Tennessee's identity right now, I can't even tell you, but. When teams usually don't have an identity, they just stick to the basics of running the football, especially in the SEC.
1: Maybe, but you got to remember Josh Heupel is the head coach there now. And if you remember, right. he comes from UCF where they had a very prolific offense, but they passed a lot. But again, pass. as we saw, Ken, Keon Henry Brooks can catch out of the backfield very well, so he'll probably figure into that system pretty well if he does go. The biggest hangup I have is the fact that Tennessee is Vanderbilt's biggest rival. So I just can't see him on an emotional level transferring there but then again we've seen that in the past where uh, like for example brenton cox came out of georgia and transferred to florida which is in georgia circles sacrilegious yeah so i don't know i'd say uh he's definitely one to keep an eye out for the only other thing i'll say now is that vanderbilt saw the transfer of raymond davis who was an all aac running back coming from temple to vanderbilt and i wonder if this transfer was also brought on by the fact that raymond davis might have been taking carries from keon henry brooks and might have been even pushing for that starting running back role if that is the case would you say raymond davis's stock is now up and would you even be willing to consider drafting the starting vanderbilt running back
0: uh in my personal opinion, I probably wouldn't. Okay. Just because I'm I'm going after guys to where, you know, they're going to put up more. Like, if they're low with 7.5, and concerning Vanderbilt's rebuilding process of whatever they're going to try to do with that program, it I guess it would take a lot for me to put my trust in Raymond Davis right now. I got and you. I, I remember that he was a target last year when he was at Temple and mm-hmm. I, I i would consider drafting him for myself and then, i drafted like, him it was a mistake uh, yeah, because yeah.
1: they temple barely played any games it felt like yeah so if he
0: is as prolific as you say and if he was going to compete for that starting job maybe but i'd have to see it to believe it first i I'm, I'm not ready to take that chance in the draft but after maybe like week one and two i'd probably okay. pick him up
1: that makes sense all right, so we're just going to try to move these last two just a little bit quicker because we're, we've been spending a lot of time on this. So next up, Arik Gilbert transferring out of Florida, transferred to Florida from LSU this same offseason uh, last year with LSU. He had 35 receptions, which was good for 368 yards, which is 10 yards or 10.5 yards per catch, as well as two touchdowns. He was the number three target on LSU's team. He was number four in the amount of yards he had, which kind of makes sense because when you're a tight end, you're going to be getting a lot more short passes. He was the number one tight end in the class of 2020, according to 247 Sports, which, if I remember correctly, is the highest rated tight end has ever been. And, yeah, uh, what's your what's your thoughts here?
0: Man, I, I followed Arik Gilbert from the time he was in high school at Marietta in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And I... I remember so vividly like getting excited because georgia our home school that we love so much our home team yes we were so close to getting him and things fell through and he ended up deciding to go to lsu and i was like well lsu's coming off of a national championship with all these great wide receivers and just amazing spread offense and then for them to just completely fall off the map but we'll get
1: get into that later but i wouldn't say they fell off again lots of caveats there. continue yeah
0: but uh i personally drafted a reed gilbert based off of the talent that i've seen him play in high school and that what i've been what i've heard and he came in looking like he was going to be you know a standout freshman tight end which he -hmm. he was absolutely he absolutely i would say like he got me around probably seven to eight points for the first few weeks and then after that he kind of just you know Production went down a little bit because that's mainly because Miles Brennan got injured and they were deciding what to do with uh, Max Johnson, how they were going to mm-hmm. go about their quarterback and all, whole offense. They were going through their lows of the season. so
1: That's fair. Yeah. I, one one thing that kind of shocked me, and I'm going to ask you if this shocks you. So you say he's a standout freshman uh, tight end and everything. And the talent is obviously there. Just watch the man on film. Oh, but true. in terms of fantasy... If I told you that he was the tight end forty-one, would that shock you? Because that's where he was in terms of yeah. in terms of points per game.
0: It, it wouldn't shock me considering like I did have him and I knew he wasn't uh, you know I just knew LSU's offense wasn't the same as what I thought it was going to be this uh, mm-hmm. uh, the past year when they won a the national championship. I I knew Joe Burrow was leaving. I knew a lot of receivers were leaving. Joe Brady, a big part of that offense, offensive coordinator, was leaving. But I thought they left a plan in place for them to, like, replicate something similar or close, not maybe a national championship, but in terms of a fancy aspect, Mm -hmm. production, like just spreading the ball out among all your wide receivers, running backs, tight ends. So he has the talent to produce at a high level of a – Oh, absolutely. Like a Weidemeyer, maybe even a Kyle Pitts one day. Mm-hmm. It's just, I, I don't find it surprising given LSU's past season and the ups and downs they went through. So it doesn't surprise me as much as you would think. But I'd, I would rate him higher than 40, uh, what'd you say, 40, 41? 41 is where he ended last year. Yeah, I, I wouldn't <laughs> take that for face value. Uh, depending on where he goes, there are rumors that he may go to junior college. So
1: That's what but I was going to bring up next is that the the – the most likely rumor I'm hearing is that he goes to Juco because his, um, again, I don't want to get into these rumors, but there's rumors of him like being academically ineligible for most schools because of what happened at the end of last year. And so he'll likely go to Juco, which would be, I think, a loss to fantasy because I think he, like, I agree with you, he has the talent no matter what, he's always going to be a great option to just pick up. The other rumors are Georgia's still in the mix, Tennessee is still in the mix, but again if if the if the other rumors are true, Juco's more most likely the where it's where he's going to go. And we'll ha- we'll see a big loss at least for a year and it'll yep. be interesting to see where he goes after that year. Uh, in terms of how this plays out for Florida, I mean, it's going to be a big blow. Like y- you you looked like you were going to have your Cowpits replacement. Yep. That's what that's what this was looking like. And now he's gone for whatever reasons want to be rumored out there. And so he leaves behind Zipper and Gamble who were kind of taking up whenever Kyle Pitts was out of the game, they took over for him in the LSU game. They took over for him in the Cotton Bowl. And from what I saw, obviously neither one of those two is Kyle Pitts. You're not going to get you're not going to get that, but I'll be honest, they seem just like all right tight ends at the very best and it looks like they're going to be splitting lots of targets. Yeah, so I, I personally I Zipper, don't see you.
0: from based off of what I've seen. I think I, I think Zipper will probably take on that starting role. Based you on think my, so? Okay. I, I think he was probably the second best tight end on that team.
1: Okay. Yeah,
0: obviously, he's not going to be Kyle Pitts, but I, well, uh, Florida is losing a lot, so I think that's a much bigger issue. But I think he still could be serviceable and produce. You know. Well,
1: well they they are having a new quarterback, whether that's Emory Jones or Allen Richardson. And if you know anything about like new quarterbacks, one of the biggest things is that they tend to go to the tight end. Uh, So I, if I start again, I'm not planning on drafting either one of those guys, gamble or zipper. If I see that they're getting targets throughout games and such, I will consider picking them up on the waiver wire. But other than that, I'm not seeing it. Yeah. All right. We'll go ahead and move on to our last guy here. And that's Luke McCaffrey transferring from Nebraska to Louisville last year, Luke McCaffrey was split in time with Adrian Martinez throughout the year because Adrian Martinez to me is one of the most disappointing QB people since his freshman or QB prospects since his freshman year. I thought this man was going to be amazing. He does not live up to that. That's another discussion for another time. Uh, Luke McCaffrey had 48 completions with 67 or excuse me 76 attempts. Um, he had 466 yards passing, which is good for 6.1 yards per completion. With one touchdown and six interceptions, he has 65 rushes for 364 yards and three touchdowns. Oh, and his completion percentage was 63.2%. So, like I said, he replaced Adrian Martinez against Northwestern, started against Penn State in Illinois, before being benched for Martinez against Iowa. And during this time, when during his two full starts, he averaged 26.17 fantasy points per game. What's your gut check here, Xavier? Uh,
0: man, I didn't. I will be honest, I did not watch much of Nebraska this year. But from what you've told me, uh, early on, and from what uh, the rumors are, that this boy can run, he can. And I feel like with what Louisville has right, well, uh, if they, I'm not sure about Malik Cunningham's eligibility if he's going to come back for one more year, he, he
1: will be run. back next year.
0: He will be back next year with that style of offense where uh, Malik or uh, yeah, I believe it's Malik Cunningham. Yeah. He's changed his name in the middle of the year so. But I feel like that with that style of offense, it will be uh, – I think Malik will still have that starting job. But if Luke shows out and, you know, he had, a, I believe, a, probably a better completion percentage than uh, Malik did uh, based on those few games that you mentioned.
1: Um, I can look that up real quick, actually.
0: Malik. So I okay. think there will definitely be a battle around there. But maybe for next year, uh, the I guess the year after next, we should be able to see something.
1: I'll be on. Uh, Malik Cunningham's completion percentage last year was sixty-four point one percent, so it was better than Luke McCaffrey's, but not by a ton. I'll be honest; I am not interested in this man whatsoever. I, watching him on tape, he is very very rough passing. I do not see him ever truly being a successful cornerback. Or that's a cornerback, quarterback, Quarterback. and him going to Louisville. Like, you're right, not this year, but maybe next year he could win that starting job. I could possibly see that, but he's got to improve his passing game a lot. Now, if I hear news that he's converting to running back, I'm more interested, but even still, I like Jalen Mitchell, who took over for. Javian Hawkins last year after Javian Hawkins opted out of the rest of the season and Jalen Mitchell first of all looked good but also was getting 100 yard games um I, I believe the last three games of the season he had 100 yards each game at least so I like him so I can't really even see Luke McCaffrey starting over him unless I get really big news about him Like, unless I I start hearing great things about him out of camp, my hands are off on this one, on my drafting. Um, So, yeah. With that, we're going to move on to the next portion of our show in which we're going to kind of talk about what we kind of learned and what, like, our biggest surprises and disappointments from this past year in 2020. Kind of doing a little 2020 year in review. And so, first, we'll start with our surprises. Uh, I'll go ahead and start off with mine and my first surprise oh my god the mac mid american conference i don't know why it took me several years to truly truly believe in the power of the mac and you'll hear me talk about this all season long all summer long mac players are a great place to where if you are for, if, if if you're getting to the end of your draft and you don't know the people. or you're, you're starting to see names you don't recognize, and you're like, "Oh crap! I'm out of people that I'd be wanting to draft." Find the MAC players. Look for them. So, so the MAC has 12 teams in it. Xavier, how many of those teams do you think scored more than 30 points per game? More than th- uh... also, do you think 30 points per game is like a good offense? Like, if that's you're, a, uh, yeah, I think that's so, a good. Offense. How many, how many MAC teams do you think scored more than 30 points per game?
0: Well, considering how much you rave about them, I'm going to say either more than 10 or either all 12.
1: Nah, it's eight. But even still, that's that's a lot. That's the most out of any Group of Five or Power Five conference. And so, also, among the QBs, you had three of the top 15 QBs were MAC players. And I believe that was um, Dustin Crumb, Caleb Ellaby, and Preston Hutchinson out of Kent State, Western Michigan, and Eastern Michigan, respectively. And that's fine and dandy. But if you're talking about starting caliber running backs to me, and to me, when I say that, I'm talking about top 36 running backs on your roster. So if you have a three running back league, these are starting caliber running backs. They had the running back one, three, 18, 26, 27. And out of those, out of those six, four of them are returning this upcoming year. And then out of the wide receivers, they had, which again, starting caliber wide receivers, you're talking about top 36 wide receivers. You got the wide receiver 4, 8, 9, 14, 23, 26, 34, 37. And I'll count 37 because that's effectively starting caliber at that point. You're just outside the top 36. So even if like you're not entirely sure that is this the guy that scored that many points last year it's still good to just take the shot cuz so many so many good players come out of the mac and they again I'll rant and rave about it i love the mac players some of my favorite players of this upcoming season are mac players invest in the mac is all i'm going to say so uh, you want to respond to that, Saber? You just want to go ahead and move on to yours? Uh, your I first like, surprise—that's
0: yeah, that's your expertise. I—I I was not I, honestly. I knew the Mac existed. I did not know the value that was inside the Mac, but I'd tell you that next season, upcoming, or this, this upcoming season, I definitely will be taking a, a deeper look at some of those uh, players, especially those running backs. Love my running backs.
1: Oh yeah, I know. I know you love your running backs. All right, so let's see. Your first surprise of 2020 was. Desmond Ritter, and Cincinnati defense. What you got yeah. to say about that?
0: I, Oh, man. I will say the Cincinnati I, – I bought into the Cincinnati stock, and it, it, it was up. It was, like – at the beginning of the season, I know ESPN came out, and they released their potential top four uh, to make the playoffs. And Desmond Howard was in on uh, – alone on this, where he had his top four. Uh, and it was, like, the usual suspects of, like, you know – Alabama, Clemson, I think he may have had Notre Dame or Oklahoma in there, but his mm-hmm. fourth team was Cincinnati. And I thought that was the most outrageous thing to say in the world. Like, no disrespect to Cincinnati fans, but like, I, I just didn't see it. I, I I hadn't followed your program that extensively. I didn't know what y'all were getting or gaining or what the up, like the trend was looking, but apparently y'all have been trending up to this, i I say elite status because as a Georgia fan, y'all gave us a elite great for Group game. Five, I'd say. Yeah, Group of Five, elite for Group of. Well, honestly, I they put up a great game against Georgia. I, I will not. You're say, not wrong. I, I put them as a top ten program in in the country for what they did. Okay. So I, I will say their defense. Apps. I, I bought into their defense to where I, I picked it up because I I was struggling at the beginning because I was like, oh, I'm going to pick my typical SEC defense. Went for Bama. Went for LSU. <laughs> we'll get to LSU, LSU, LSU later. Obviously, a mistake, but we'll get into that later. But um, yeah, Alabama. It was a little bit of an off year in terms of their defense, but that was just defenses in general. There's only probably like maybe two or three good defenses this year, and Cincinnati was probably one of them to where you I highly uh, touted. Hmm. And to go along with their defense and their team as a whole, Desmond Ritter from the get uh, from the beginning, we were like, yeah, he seems like a good receiver, but. His improvement throughout the season just got exponentially better to where... I agree. Oh, my God. T- it, this man was just a touchdown machine. Along with their running game, True. And their, their defense, it was just a perfect balance of... Everything was just hitting in stride for them. It's it's uh, I'm, They won the group of five, which I'm proud of them for that, and they gave us a great game in the Peach Bowl, so they True. should... I think you, uh, the Cincinnati stock is still on the rise and it's still up. So you better jump on the bandwagon now because they're a team to look out for just from all aspects. I'll
1: go ahead and take credit for hopping on the Cincinnati bandwagon before Xavier did. I'm just saying, Absolutely. I'm just saying, uh, yeah, no, I, I love Cincinnati's team. I got a friend who's a Cincinnati fan and I was ranting and raving about them and obviously talking trash about them before the bowl game and everything, but that's just what you do when, you're the team facing them but yeah i love cincinnati desmond ritter is a great athlete and i'll be honest looking at where he's getting drafted right now where where experts are ranking them i i have to say he's still underrated like this man i think is like this man he's getting drafted as a qb1 as he should however there's a i think there's a chance for him being a top five top three qb for this year i think he has that kind of upside And I'm excited to see what he does this year. And Cincinnati's defense, if I remember correctly, is returning every starter except for one. So if they were good this past year, and they were, definitely invest in them for next year. Absolutely, yeah. So my second surprise of 2020, I'm just going to go to the SEC offenses. We already saw in 2019 that we had these, we had offenses in the SEC beginning to change. The LSU offense was obviously one of the greatest of all time. But in that year, and again I'm still using this 30 points per game metric in terms of in terms of like how good I think an offense is. In that year, four SEC offenses scored above 30 points per game. This past year, six did. And so those six were Alabama, Ole Miss, Clemson or not Clemson, what am I talking about? Clemson's not in the SEC. But where was that Alabama Ole Miss LSU Florida Georgia uh god I can't remember the can't remember the sixth one it was either it's either Texas A&M or it was uh Mizzou I don't know it was one of those guys but still that's six that's six right there and I think even into this next year you're gonna see even more because Mississippi State didn't quite get there but as you saw last year while Mississippi State got shut down several games I think they have the potential to get up into that 30, 30 points per game range if they can get that air raid system down there figured out and how they can do it against SEC defenses such as they did against LSU again LSU defense was something but my, my point still stands is that SEC offenses surprised me again this year and I think it's going to be I, I think it's going to be another good year. This upcoming year, I think SEC teams are somebody to, are teams to look out for. Uh, I did have one other note here is that in terms of how many teams scored above 30 points per game, the SEC was second out of the Power 5 and only losing out to the ACC. So they even beat out the Big 12 in terms of number of teams scoring above 30 points. So I like the SEC offenses. I'm excited to see them next year.
0: Yeah, times are definitely changing. Coaches are realizing that, you know, old styles, especially Georgia, where it's just like, you know, we built our program based on running back university. But I think, I think it was starting to shift mainly probably like 2017-ish, but then it really became apparent when that, when LSU won a national championship, Mm -hmm. Joe Brady did with that program to show the possibilities of what an offense can truly look like in college. So definitely sure. on the up and up, like all the teams Jared mentioned, uh, Mississippi State definitely want to look out for it. There is a wide receiver. Wiley definitely need, needs to be on people's radars. I have them highly touted. Uh, all the other uh, big-name schools, you, you can go through their receiver core see what they're doing. Georgia, we have a, a few up-and-coming ones. I'm just going to plug in our guys because I believe in them that much. Pickens, Jermaine Burton, Rosemary. Sure. Uh, Arian Smith is going to be great. It, it's just so much talent that uh, these coaches are recruiting for, and these players are able to produce at a high level. So, definitely, is a big
1: surprise. I definitely, obviously, I would agree. This is my surprise of twenty twenty. But speaking of your surprises, your number two, you kind of threw in Kyle Pitts and Arkansas here together. Yeah. I'll let you talk about both though. I think they're both I, worth talking about here.
0: I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna talk about Arkansas first because I feel like that their season. Needs a little bit more. Uh, they need more credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Arkansas. It was. It's been a rough. Oh man, I can't even say a few years. It's been a while since Arkansas has mm-hmm. been relevant. And lose Georgia losing Sam Pittman hurt my soul and my heart. To where I was True. like, oh my god, we're losing one of our best O line coaches. But I'm happy to see him go on and become a head coach. You're going to Arkansas, so I, I'm. I was expecting like maybe a rough patch because things aren't going so well, but Oh my goodness! Did he did he come in there and make an immediate impact? Like their record may not show it, but if yeah, you I believe they
1: were and three th- and seven last year.
0: Yeah, but if you go back and look at that first Georgia game, like I True. know I keep on mentioning Georgia, but like Georgia's still like a top five program, and for them to have us on the ropes, like the like obviously we didn't have a quarterback, but just week one. To have Georgia on the ropes like that and to be ha- be in these close games with top SEC programs oh yeah just speaks volumes to what Sam Pittman has done for that and the coaching hires he's made the talent that's obviously there Felipe Felipe Franks became True. relevant he did I, I thought I never thought I would say the day that Felipe Franks would be a relevant quarterback and I was like you know what it's, it's 2020 anything mm-hmm. is possible where that man was the meme of Florida. to where every time he, Georgia or any other team for that fact played Felipe Franks, felt like they had a good chance of winning. Oh, yeah, and now this man is just came onto the scene and was looking great. He was After the game that he got injured. They have a backup quarterback that looks like he's going to be uh, Jefferson. Particularly good, yep. So, and their defense is obviously going to come along. Sam Pittman knows that you know, in order to win an SEC, you have to have a defense, so he's definitely going to recruit lock down arkansas do the best that he can and try to get somewhere in that like midwest ish well
1: like- i imagine you'll also try to dip into uh, louisiana there as well it is just south so. yeah so
0: arkansas definitely one to look out for there are uh running backs they have uh, Traylon
1: smith um I love, smith. i'm i'm gonna probably own a lot like I, again I'm looking at where he's getting drafted. I'm looking at where people other people are ranking him. I'm probably gonna own a lot of shares of Traylon Smith. I am very, very excited about him. And then also the other Traylon, Traylon Burks, their wide Burks. receiver. Oh man. Man. Dude, he's he's good. good. He's good. You you watch some of the catches he makes. He I I'm gonna say he has the best hands in the SEC right now. Mm. Um I I know that I know that might be crazy, but I just watching the catches this man makes, like, Might be better hands than even George Pickens. Ooh, oh! I'm, I'm telling you, man. Like, go back and watch, go, go back and watch some tape of him, man. It's, it's, it's a ton of fun to watch. Uh, So, you want to talk about Kyle Pitts now?
0: Yeah, we can both talk a little bit about Kyle Pitts because
1: what a crazy, crazy year for him. What,
0: what can I even say? It's basically Kyle Pitts was not a tight end this season. America, like (laughs) it it was, he was not a tight end. That man was, that man was a. Calvin Johnson clone disguised as a tight end.
1: Ooh, it, that's
0: it. The stature he has, the speed that he was running, the balls that he was able to catch, it was just oh I Florida success, he had a big part of it. I oh, yeah. like if I had to divide it up, Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Tony, their defense. Kyle Pitts would own
1: probably. Uh, I'm not going to put their defense in there. Well, we'll yeah,
0: the, their defense probably not. But like, if I had to split it up of like how Florida won games, I'm taking Kyle Pitts probably like 30, 40% of that.
1: To I mean, it. the two games he was out of, LSU and Oklahoma, they did lose. Yeah. So so that just like from
0: uh, the years before when he was, or was at Florida, I never heard of him. I was like, I think that uh last year, last season, I, I knew that he existed as a tight mm-hmm. end on Florida's depth chart. But I did not expect this at all. For him to just turn into honestly, if we look at it from a points standpoint, I think he probably uh, is in the realm of like Devontae Smith of like in terms of production that he had this past season. Where he could have been out of uh, all the not white, but,
1: but I'm again like, I'm it's to. A- I, I was gonna let you finish at first, but literally I have one thing and one thing to say only of how special Kyle Pitts was this past season. His fantasy points per game was eighteen point six three. You're really? never gonna you're never getting a tight end like that ever again. And that's all I'm gonna say about Kyle Pitts. What a special season he had. I'll let there, you finish now, I'm sorry. There would be
0: games where he'd get like 30, 40 points, and I'm just like, oh like that's more than some of my rec- like both of my receivers combined would get like early on in the season. Mm. And having to face him was just a nightmare. It
1: was. Like you have to
0: have everybody else just clicking
1: that day. So I cannot imagine how nice it would have been to have Kyle Pitts on Ugh. your team. Like you just you never have to worry about tight end ever again. And this is why we said earlier in the show invest time and effort into tight ends before the season starts. So you just know who to go to. Yeah. Uh so yeah. Kyle Pitts, special, special player. We're going to my third surprise. I'm going Malik Williams. Golly, I love me some Malik Williams. Like, nobody saw Liberty going 11-1 this past season, I don't think. Ah, God. Yeah, Malik Williams is special. Last year, he had 170 completions with 265 attempts, which which is a completion percentage of 64.2%, which is all right. But that was 2,260 yards, which is good for 8.5 yards per completion. 20 passing touchdowns, 6 interceptions. He also had, and this is the important part, 141 rushes for 944 yards, which is good for 6.7 yards per carry and 14 rushing touchdowns. 14. This man earned 34.84 points a game for fantasy. This man is incredible. Nobody, also, nobody else on this team scores points. Out of the four hundred and twenty points scored by Liberty, how many do you think were scored by Malik Willis?
0: Probably somewhere in the three hundreds.
1: Not three hundreds. We're not going that high. We're not that but high. Two hundred and four so, of those total points Liberty scored this past year were done by Malik Willis. That's thirty four out of the fifty five touchdowns they scored. Like that. Like this man is. This man is a literal one man show. He again. He earned thirty four point eight four points per game. The second highest scoring fantasy person on his team was their running back, Joshua Mack, who scored 10.55 points per game. Third highest was their kicker with 8.64 fantasy points per game. Xavier, one of the biggest things I hate in fantasy is when I get a great QB, like, for example, Tuatunga Vailoa or Joe Burrow on my team. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm unbeatable, right? And then somebody, somebody goes and gets jerry judy and jamar chase and henry ruggs and doesn't matter that he's worried about them splitting carries or splitting yards or anything no 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 any points that tua earns judy's going to earn any points that jamar chase earns or any points that burrow earns jamar chase is probably going to earn at least a good chunk of that you can't do that with malik willis this man does not have his go-to receivers he just has receivers that he plays around with and honestly, can you imagine being an Auburn fan watching Malik Willis this year, considering that Malik Willis transferred from Auburn and they're dealing with Bo Nix right now?
0: Yeah, that's Again, that's just pain.
1: Malik Willis is the number one overall pick this year. And I do not think it is close. Close, not, not. Like, if you have the number one pick, if you don't go Malik Willis, I don't know what to say to you. So there's my rant, there's my rave on Malik Willis.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you touched on it to where I I saw what he was doing and I was just like is this sustainable I was like he's the only one doing this our team's gonna figure this out and I waited maybe a few days too late and one of our one of our fantasy uh, one of our opponents in fantasy picked him up and then after that uh, since that point it was just 40 50 point games and I'm just like dear God. And the funny thing was, I had a great season. I, I won our league, so I well, was that's like, true. You did, Champions, you did. But I could not like this person not. had probably the worst record in our league. But every time I played him, I there was only one time I won, and that was the time he didn't have Malik Willis. And I was like, this man. I had no clue how won I beat him. Games. I have no clue how I beat him when I played him. It yeah. was just wow. But yeah, absolutely number one pick. I don't think it's close. There's too many players that have left. So, and he's the one remaining, like, constant. That's just, like, it. what can teams do next year? Like, yeah, there's only so much game planning you can do, and he just has the talent, so.
1: I would agree. Uh, so, we'll move on to your final surprise of 2020, oh. and I'll let you take it from here.
0: Wait, wow, okay. Where do I even start with this? I'll start with UNC in general, where last season we saw Sam Howell come into mm-hmm. the scene, And there were people that just expected UNC to just be aerating it out, passing the ball, Sam Howell just flexing his
1: arm. And that person might have been B.
0: That person might have been, Jared. Might have been. And it's nothing to take away from Sam Howell. I don't think he's a bad quarterback. As As much as I gave him, like, you know, harsh critique for that was just out of fun because no, you know, I, know. I know. guy, you just want to like trash on the opposing team's quarterback or whatever. Oh yeah, but UNC's run game. No, but I don't think anybody saw this. To where
1: not we, to this we'll level? Start
0: with, we'll start with we'll start with Javante Williams. To where this? Oh my god, that is a that is a bruiser. Just I, I won't even get into the stats. Just what he can, the ability that he has with the ball. And for him to just break tackles and break off for runs, I'm pretty sure, I think at, uh, at one point he was leading the, I'm trying to uh, remember, I know he was probably like one of the top ACC touchdowns, like most in touchdowns, probably was in the end. And I think then, so, and, yeah. And then in the end, it was like, he was probably like top three next to Najee or top two. Mm-hmm. And then you have a complimentary piece of Michael Carter, which maybe in the beginning, it was like more Javante and then seeing Michael Carter catch on the backfield. But Michael Carter let it be like he let it be known that he was no like he was nothing. No pushover, no scrub. That man will break off and can oh, he will win you some games. And that's why he's going to be playing on Sundays.
1: He will be. I think they'll both be playing on Sundays, and let's let's not forget the their game against Miami, where both of them scored over two hundred yards rushing. Oh my goodness! Like, <laughs> what do you
0: say to that? About, the funny thing about that week is I I had Michael Carter on my team, and my hmm. opponent had Javante Williams, and oh. we were both happy. <laughs> There's nothing like I was like, I just need Michael Carter to do better, and I think he ended up maybe with a few more yards than Javante Williams. Hmm. So I was like, I. It ended up and then in the championship game when they played the Western Carolina, the Catamounts, Michael Carter was just like, I'm gonna go off this game. Javante Williams, take your rest. So I was like, thank God. Yeah I get to win this. But those two the dynamic back, I don't think there was a backfield that was comparable this year in all of college football that what to what they had.
1: I, I can't say this year. The only other comparison, I know we've done a lot of Georgia comparisons on here would would you say it was similar to a Chubb Michelle kind of backfield yeah, like it, it's it, like
0: it gave those type of vibes where Javante would probably be the Chubb and Michael Carter would be the Michelle and then you see what the, both of them are doing at the next level where Michelle won a Super Bowl Chubb is a top 3 back in the NFL so
1: mm-hmm. now the unfortunate thing for this is that Alabama hired away UNC's running back coach oh. but From what I've heard, UNC made a hire for their running back coach. I can't remember where they got him from. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but everything I've heard says he's, it was a good recovery on their part. It was kind of like, it's kind of like Georgia losing Sam Pittman last year and then recovering with Matt Luke. Like it's that kind of recovery where it's like they lost somebody good, but they were actually able to go out and get somebody just as good. So I'm excited to see what they do again next year. They have um, British Brooks who was the top running back in their bowl game against Texas A&M. And then they also have Ty Chandler coming in from Tennessee. And I think, based on what I've seen, British Brooks can kind of take over that Javante role. Ty Chandler can take over that Michael Carter role. And you could probably have the same thing again this next year. I'm definitely looking forward to both yeah, to their run uh, game again next year.
0: In an interview with uh, Rivals, uh, I saw Mac Brown. He was talking about why he kind of uh, targeted Ty uh, Chandler. Mm -hmm. In terms of uh, uh, the transfer portal. And he was like, yeah, we just like we have a lot of young guys, which like, yeah, you're losing two prolific backs and you're replacing them with essentially freshmen. So you need that guy with a little bit of experience. And Ty Chandler with Tennessee just looked, I mean, he showed flashes. He's been with the program. I believe he's a junior, maybe senior so. Mm-hmm. That definitely will help that backfield out a lot in producing and maybe building up like that run game again. But I do expect next year Sam Howell to probably rely a little bit more on their arm and probably be a little bit more balanced than they were run heavy this year. Because makes sense. Daz Newsom and uh oh man, why am I forgetting? Is it Deami Brown or no? It's um, yeah, Deami Brown. Deami Brown as much as like how as the hype that came around them coming at, at the beginning of the season where people thought they were going to be, you know, fans. we'll get to,
1: we'll get to dad's news in a second. Trust. Yeah. me. So, yeah. So
0: that's, that's all I have to say.
1: Yeah. So those are our biggest surprises of 2020. Um, if any of y'all have other surprises that you want, you want us to talk about, like feel free to put them down in the comments and everything. We love discussing this kind of stuff. So, and Yeah. So now we'll move on to our biggest disappointments of 2020. And yeah, there it's a fantasy year. You're gonna have disappointments. You're gonna have people you drafted way too high. And I have I have to start here. I have to start here. This man was the number one pick in every league I played, and in two of those leagues I was the number one pick. And I took Chuba Hubbard at the 101. <sighs> <laughs> I there's not much to say here. Uh, number one overall pick, you expect high things out of this man. This man had a 2,000-yard season the year before. It was incredible. I was looking forward to just having a guaranteed back every single week. And usually backs can only get better, so I was like, okay. like Even if he doesn't get up to that 2,000-yard season again, he's going to have a pretty incredible season as far as I could tell. Nah. Nah. Xavier, running back what? what do you think like what number of running back do you think he was? Oh, man I don't know.
0: Uh, all of college football. All of college fo- I, I can't even can I even put him in the top 10?
1: God no. Oh man. Xavier, uh, I, I if you're thinking top 10, my friend, you are going to you're going you're gonna to feel every bit of disappointment that I had.
0: Okay then, if it, it's sounding that bad, so it, let is it somewhere in the 20s and 30 range?
1: Xavier, he was a running back 63. 63 Oh my. 63 God. in fantasy points per game. I took this man at the 101. Uh, <laughs> he had 14.88 fantasy points per game, which is like fine, but again, it's a 101. You want guarantees, and it didn't help that like, as the season went on, like first game, they lose Spencer Sanders, so that effectively removed the passing game from Oklahoma State for a good while there, so they could key in on Chuba Hubbard. He wasn't doing well. He just wasn't as good, as dynamic as he was the year before, and didn't help that he just later opted out of the season after he started losing carries to Desmond Jackson and L.D. Brown. So, Yeah. There's my biggest disappointment in 2020, and you'll see my number two and number three, but it's not even close to Chuba Hubbard. So we'll go with your number one. What do you got? There he oh, is. man. There they
0: are. LSU. The defending national champions, the LSU Tigers. Highly touted, Ed Ogeron-led defense. Now, I will say their offense of uh, – in 2019 was obviously way better than their defense. Like it wasn't even close, but their defense wasn't something to like just scoff at. Like you had Derek Stanley, you had a great D line. You had a lot of players go in the draft, but it just, you had the sense that, you know, even though they were losing a lot of players, you had great players coming back. And LSU you're, you're touted as DBU, defensive mm-hmm. back university. Like I know, there's a lot of other schools that will cl- make that claim. there have been claims in the past, where Miami, Alabama's starting to make that claim, even Florida for some reason, Ohio State. But <laughs> Ohio State me, is legit. Yeah, Ohio but. State is legit until where they can make that claim. But based off of his like my history back in like maybe like uh, I'd say mid 2000s, 2010s, DBU was LSU, mm-hmm. and for it to just be absolutely just atrocious. Teams are putting up hanging points on you. I'm, I'm trying to remember. I think it may have been the Ole Miss game. And now, no, like, like you said earlier in our, uh, our biggest surprises, SEC offenses are looking a lot better.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But for you to just let Ole Miss and for all these other schools to just hang maybe 30, 40, 50 points on you, they made up. every
1: they made everybody believe that Mike Leach in the air raid was gonna take over the SEC for Absolutely. a week.
0: Absolutely. Uh oh my gosh. Cause you you bought into to KJ Costello after We're, that game.
1: Oh my god, I should have put him in my disappointments. Yeah. Like, yeah.
0: yeah. I remember that, put up, I saying, KJ Costello put up like six touchdowns and I think that was like his first game. And yeah. that, I was kind of I was worried because I was like, oh, Jared's got him. Ah, that's gonna be a, a big thing. But it was just it was just all LSU's defense. How bad? Oh no!
1: Yeah, you're was. right. It didn't help that Ed Ogeron was hyping his defense up like crazy before the season because they lost Dave Aranda to Baylor. And yeah. congratulations, Dave Aranda. Do deserves deserved a promotion. And they went and got Bo Pelini, which everybody was like, "Okay, like it's not great, but could work." Yeah. And Ed Ogeron was out there in interviews saying, "Yeah." I think our defense is going to even be even better than it was last year, and I'm like, "All right, you lost a lot of starters. I'm I'm excited, and obviously you bought into it because you drafted LSU's defense.
0: I did because defenses and were going off early.
1: They were like, and our our league's defenses go early, and that's something. Well, we'll talk about that in a future episode. How much more valuable DSTs are in college than they are NFL, but yeah. um, yeah, LSU's defense was not what Ed Ogeron was talking about. And really, I'll be honest, like, once I saw what was on the field, it kind of made me re- respect Ogeron a lot less yeah. uh, as a coach because I felt like he just didn't quite have the grasp that I thought he did on his program.
0: Yeah, the man was selling snake oil, Jared. I, I was I was li- lied to. I was bamboozled. I was ran astray. It was, it was tough. Mm. But... Now, now that I know, I'm like there's there's only there's maybe like five teams I have in mind in my head that I'm just like I either have to get one of them for my defense and hopefully buy into another program for the rest.
1: Let me see if I'm looking at my DST rankings. Um, I'd say there's a good there's a good ten that I'd say are serviceable. I've done a little bit of research. I I need to do more, obviously, but like I'd say there's a good ten that you could work with. Uh, before and like if you're if you want a defense that you're not gonna have to stream every single week, I mean you, you're gonna have to stream defenses no matter what because that's just how the game is now. Uh, but if you want like a consistent starter every week, I'd say there's about seven that you yeah. could work with every single week,
0: but. In that five and seven range, I know like Georgia's always a fear, surefire, Clemson as well because the ACC yeah. and their defense is prominent. Alabama, Bama's
1: defense is gonna be good this year, I think. Yeah,
0: saving like their defense wasn't as uh, great last year, but it was still serviceable for me. But mm. I know saving like and a lot are of good. those were
1: freshmen, if you remember.
0: Exactly, they have a lot. Like their edge
1: rushers, oh my god, Will mm-hmm. Anderson is a monster. Malachi so, Moore is another good one to oh, be watching out for. Like they got some so, crazy guys on that team.
0: Uh Notre Dame always gonna be a good defense. Now nah, mm. I won't talk about their team or their season next year with <laughs> them losing Ian Book, but their defense is always gonna stay solid. They but, got Jack uh,
1: Cong coming in. I think he'll be fine.
0: Yeah, so and that's just that's just to name a few. There are some other ones that you could also oh, Cincinnati that we mentioned earlier, yeah. it's gonna be good, but yeah. So we bought into the L S U hype train.
1: Uh, yeah, I bought into the LSU hype train, and I you you mentioned earlier how LSU kind of fell off, and I was like, oh, I'll hold the phone on that a little bit because my opinion, Miles Brennan, their receiving game that was still on point. Like they like Terrence Marshall bailed me out of so many games. Miles Brennan, if he was continued to be healthy, I think LSU would have won a lot more games because he was putting up well over. Like I, I believe he was averaging over. 30 points a game in fantasy through the first three games. So their QB room, their wide receiver room, still good for fantasy. Now their running game. Oh my God. So, again, they came into the year with, I thought, three good options at running back. You had two former four stars in Chris Curry and Tyrion Davis-Price. And they looked to be the ones that were kind of getting the main backup roles behind, or like they were splitting... Eh. You also have John Emery Jr., who's a, who is a former five-star. who I was, I've, I've been waiting on him to have a breakout year since he went to LSU. And so they were all splitting carries behind Clyde Edwards-Helaire, who was kind of the feature back of LSU's dominant 2019 run. And even though I looked at it and saw three good running backs, I'm like, okay, LSU typically does kind of key in on one guy. And I'm like, all right, so one of these guys will break out as the season goes on, Right? 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 I said it as we were going into week eight and nine. Uh, so let me break each of these guys down for you. Tyrion Davis Price has 7.48 fantasy points per game. The highest score he had was 17.5 against Arkansas, and that was the only time he scored above 10 points in a game. John Emery Jr., the former five-star. Again, I've been waiting on him to have a breakout year. 7.01 fantasy points per game. Highest score was 14.6 against Alabama, and that was the only time he scored above five points throughout the entire year Chris Curry who I actually ended up drafting with my last pick in our league 1.72 fantasy points per game he was fourth on the team uh and the, the guy ahead of him was Trey Bradford who I hadn't even heard of before the season began I'm just I'm just sitting here wondering what happened to the run game that gave us Leonard Fournette Darius Geis and Clyde Edwards oliver like what happened
0: The culture, I don't know what happened to that running back culture. Cause yeah, LSU was always like highly talented. Like they were up there in the echelon of maybe not so much of Georgia and Alabama, but they produced some great backs to go to the NFL and great college backs as well. So maybe they'll, maybe they've addressed that uh, in recruiting. Maybe they will going forward because right now, for the foreseeable future, I just don't see it. They just might have to rely on their passing game. Mm -hmm. So,
1: yep. Uh, again, I don't have much more to say than I'm just disappointed. Disappointed. We'll go to your second uh disappoint your speaking so if your are dis- disappointments, your second disappointment. Texas's offense. Yeah, you said well, there's some caveats here.
0: There are some caveats. Now I know there a lot of people are really high on B. John Robinson. I am personally too. From what I saw, like Tom Herman did not utilize him properly. And no. the off- OC did not either. But Sarkeesian is a mastermind, seems to know what he's doing, had great success at Alabama, will obviously use that man correctly. Now, what I'm disappointed was I drafted Sam Ellinger. Sam Ellinger was a great fantasy QB, but Sam Ellinger had to do things on his own, and he always had to, like, come at, like, in the fourth quarter or overtime to win me fantasy games. Like, he'd have to take the game. Like, they would be losing. Then... His wide receivers would drop passes or we'll talk about. Yeah. Eagles. Uh, They had Jake Smith, which he looks promising, but he was, he got injured during the season. He got injured a lot. Yeah. So, and they had some other, uh, Joshua Moore just had up and down games, but I believe. Your guy Tariq Black. Yeah. Tariq Black. I thought coming out of Michigan, I had him highly touted. Thought he was going to be a great receiver for the program. Just never ended up panning out. Maybe he'll uh, go on to the next level and you know find a serviceable team that he'll be able to show his talents, but Texas just wasn't it. Or maybe mm-hmm. he'll stay with Texas. We don't know. But I think my biggest – I think the biggest blemish on that offense was Keontae Ingram. The amount of times that they put their faith into this man and the amount of times that he fumbled. I, I can't remember the game, but the game was on the line. TCU. And he fumbles on the one – you said what? TCU. TCU is the game. He fumbles on the one-yard line and they lose the game. And they continue to just, like, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and without, like, realizing your mistake. And they kept giving this man the ball. And I was just like, what are you it's, doing?
1: Especially since we now see B. John Robinson was probably the better back the entire season.
0: Absolutely. And Even Roshan saying, Johnson was doing better. I just, I just couldn't make sense of it. So I'm just like, I felt bad for Sam because... He was so close to breaking some texts like he already he's already probably like top two texas qb of all time statistically but mm-hmm. i coming into the season they were people were expecting him to break vince young all this and that so i'm just like um so i was just expecting like a lot so i'm just like well it just was a disappointment in terms mm-hmm. of what i was expecting to get
1: yeah I, th- I think that's entirely fair. Um, I know for me, it was frustrating with the wide receiver room all year long. He never really settled in on that number one receiver. It was like, it was somebody different every single week. It was Jake Smith, Joshua Moore. And uh, that speaks to the talent in that wide receiver room. But for fantasy purposes, it's a nightmare. Yeah. So, but again, it did make Ellinger valuable because similar to Malik Harris, or Malik Harris, Malik Willis earlier, um, you had... It was, it was impossible to try to siphon points off of him through his receivers because you never knew which one was going to break out. Um, so for my third disappointment, I believe I might actually have the wrong thing in here. I do. Not Memphis running game. While that was disappointing, I went back and looked at some of my drafts and everything. I didn't realize how much stock I put into Daz Newsom. And we talked about earlier with the UNC running game, so I won't spend too long on Daz Newsom, where... I was big, big on Sam Howell, Daz Newsome, De'Ami Brown coming into this year, and Daz Newsome was the big target like in Sam Howell's freshman year. He had more targets than De'Ami Brown. I'm like, okay, De'Ami Brown may have had more touchdowns, but he'll translate those targets next year with Daz Newsome, and he'll probably end up get end up getting more touchdowns with that, right? Nope. Nope, he kind of caught on at the end of the year and everything, and I was like, okay, but by this point, I think I drafted. I, I don't remember where I drafted him. It was it was early, it was like round four, five or six. And for as small as our league was then, um, it was it was not good value at that point. And I was I was very disappointed with him, but I was a little excited at the end because Deami Brown, Michael Carter, Javante Williams all opted out of the bowl game. Daz Newsom says, nah, I'm staying for the bowl game, and I'm. I'm thinking, okay, this might be an indication that Daz Newsom's going to come back for another year because he realizes that he did not put up the tape he needed to to go to the NFL this year. And I'm like, okay. And he went, had a group, had a pretty good bowl game, I'd say. Um, wasn't anything spectacular, but it showed that he was very much an option for next year for UNC to continue with and even become a number one receiver again. Few a day, few days or a week or two later, announced he's going to the NFL draft. And I'm like, Dude, come on. So, yeah, he kind of disappointed me over and over again this season. That's where I'm going with that. So,
0: yeah. I will say this about uh, Daz Newsome. I, I saw, uh, you know, I was watching the games closely because UNC was a fun team to watch.
1: Oh, they're so fun.
0: Uh, well, not even fantasy, just football wise this season. Oh, yeah. Um, and I saw, like, maybe later on in the season, like last five games, I was like, you know what? I'm kind of, I made a trade and I was like, maybe I need one more sh- receiver. And I was like, I know Daz Newsome has the ability to get yards and touchdowns, and I took a chance on him and the last few games he showed up for me. So Yeah,
1: you 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 again, you like to make fun of me whenever things don't go well for me. And like you made fun of me for Daz Newsome for a while. But again, it was funny. You 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 picked him up at the end. You see what I was going like what he could have been throughout the entire season. That's what I was looking for, it just didn't pan out for me. Yeah. So we'll move on to your final disappointment i'll let you explain this one.
0: Oh, okay so sticking to the themes of uh the theme of wide receivers i will go with oklahoma's wide receiver uh duo of charleston Rambo and theo weiss now i probably would speak more on charleston Rambo as theo weiss is still there and seems to be you know a decent wide receiver two maybe three depending on who else they have coming in but marvin Mims is outright the number one i would agree but I was under the impression. And then from what I saw from Oklahoma in previous years, it was CD lamb. And then it was Charleston Rambo. And I was like, okay, I, if that's how it is. And CD lamb has gone to the NFL, I would pick up, you know, maybe his successor, Charleston Rambo and first game of the season. Amazing. I think he (laughs) probably had me about three touchdowns in that game. And I was just ecstatic. And I was like, man, my pick looks great. After that, Nothing. It literally, it just seemed like he was just on the field there to just look at, as a decoy probably had maybe five receptions. Like later on, I, I, I may be exaggerating, but it felt like that to where I wasn't getting any production out of him. Mm-hmm. And I also was like, well, I'll go pick up the Weese because maybe they'll look to him. I don't think maybe Spencer Rattler will target this freshman for long. The Weese looks like, you know, to be the next, the next, next guy. And it just wasn't that, but I will not say you know to stay away from Theo Weiss because he may have a great season next year. He's not a terrible wide receiver, but Marvin Mims is already established stuff as that number one. And Mike Morale usually does in the in recruiting, he goes after big name receivers. So I expect that maybe another freshman to come out. That's not, that's just
1: my belief. But Could we'll- be Mario Williams is looking like that dude. Yeah, um-
0: Charleston Rambo going to Miami. That's that's gonna be something to watch out for. Considering, um, them, I mean, their receivers are pretty eh, hit or miss depending on the day or the week. So that's fair.
1: Yeah, I have Theo Wees rated as a wide receiver five, so that basically he's gonna be a bench guy, but he's definitely still worth having on your team, like exactly. in a draft. So that's where I'm at with him. Yeah. So yeah, those are our big disappointments from this past year. Uh, there are a lot of them, but those are the kind of the big ones we were focusing on. And so for our final little list here, we're going to move ahead and take a look at what we're looking forward to in 2021. I know what we're about to talk about, and I'm just going to say this is less fantasy relevant and more just like what we're looking forward to in the 2021 football season. And my first one is no more opt-outs, no more mass game cancellations. That was awful this past year. Awful, awful, awful. Yeah, across I, all sports leagues, all sports. Leagues. It's just games constantly getting canceled. You had to be on top of your game, and you would have this amazing roster built. And especially <laughs> it was awful in the beginning, in the first couple, in the first couple weeks when only like two or three conferences were playing. You'd have this incredible roster built up, ready to go, and you just saw game after game get cancelled and all of a sudden you're looking at your team and it's just like, I have to go to the waiver wire and I have to drop a bunch of people. I had Elijah Moore <laughs> on my team and I had to drop him at one point because just so many teams were getting cancelled and I'm like, I have to drop him, otherwise I'm going to get a zero in this column. That's how many people were I was losing every week. Um, so I am i got him. I don't want any more. Opt-outs were awful. Jamar Chase, losing him was an awful loss. Oh. My number one pick? Uh. Oh, that's right. It was your number one pick, <laughs> um, Jamar Chase. Awful, Kenneth Gainwell. I didn't pick him up, or I wanted to pick him up, but losing him, I know hurt a lot of people in several leagues that I was in, and so yeah, I'm ready not to deal with that next year. And everything it looks like with COVID right now, we're gonna have a Pretty much, I'd say at least eighty to ninety percent normal season next year, barring some kind of catastrophe. Yeah. So yeah, uh, we'll look. We'll look at your first thing you want to look forward to. Yeah, and expanding off of returning to
0: normalcy, fans back in stadiums and the stands. Now, I've I, I know people hear that you know fans are like the twelfth man to where, and I absolutely believe <laughs> that to where stadiums being at, like, maybe under 20% capacity, like, I'll use the Penn State versus Michigan game where Shea Patterson couldn't hear a word during that whiteout and mm-hmm. he had to call a timeout first play of the game. Or Sanford Stadium, Notre Dame, lights oh, are going that on. Was a, loud, that was a loud, beautiful game. Decibels being broke, like, decibel records being broken. And it's just, it's, it can be overwhelming for, like, maybe an incoming freshman or even an experienced, like, starter. And for that, it's like I kind of uh, related to like maybe the NBA to where they went into a bubble and you don't have fans like booing or cheering you or, you know, making a lot of noise to distract you from making that crucial play. So Mm -hmm. a lot of you could say it was a lot easier uh, for offenses to, you know, produce Mm -hmm. at a higher level. But now I'm going to like be able to gauge and see how well these players are going to do under some a little bit more pressure. So. I'm happy to see that i can't wait from what it's looking like uh, like jared said earlier i know uh a lot of schools are preparing a lot of athletic directors are preparing to have uh go back to 100 capacity as long as everything's safe barring any type of catastrophe i think it'll be great for the sport and great for the fans as well so
1: yeah like you're you're kind of talking about it from like the way it affects the game and like even from a fantasy perspective it's going to help the defenses next year but i I just miss that sound when I watch football games, just hearing the crowd in the background and everything. Like it just adds so much to the atmosphere, whether you're there at the game or even just watching on your TV. I agree. It's something that I miss and I'm with you. It's something I very much look forward to having back in 2021. Um, My second thing to look forward to in 2021, we get spring practice and fall practice and all those games back. Golly, that made fantasy for college football so much harder last year because we did not have these practices where we were getting news out of camp we did not have full practices where you did not have spring games where you could actually see it with your own eyes like unless you're one of these people that can get into the stadiums even so that's incredible if you can like I'm I'm going to so much more information will be able to go into our ranking. So much more information will be going, we'll be able to go into our draft strategies this year because we'll have access to it because they'll actually be doing it. And so I'm excited to have all that at my fingertips once again.
0: Yeah, same here. I think they'll definitely help programs out to where, and you'll have all these freshmen come in. They don't really know how to condition, like with the experienced starters or upperclassmen to where it felt like this season, freshmen probably got the shorter than the stick, and they were just thrown into the fire. Now, some people rose to the challenge. Some people just you know need that added development. To where you're coming in, you were probably the biggest guy in your high school. Now you're like the scrawny kid on campus. Like, you think you're doing like you think you're doing something, bitch, in 200, while there's another guy like squatting close to a thousand pounds. So it's it definitely that that added time definitely helps these programs develop. And for, you know, new coaching hires, I'll use Todd Mocken as an example to where being able to get acclimated with the quarterbacks, receivers, having that time to develop that relationship and instilling that playbook into uh, those players for just instead of just like maybe two months and rushing it and having an entire season go by like Mm -hmm. spring and summer will definitely, you know, bode well for those programs.
1: Yeah, I can. I, I'm. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I can't. I can't believe I didn't mention that the fact that you saw so many programs this year suffer from the fact that they did not have a spring practice, not really have a full pro, fall practice, especially teams like Georgia, Penn State, all these teams that brought in new head coaches, new offensive coordinators, and stuff like that. Especially in this age where you need to upgrade your offense, you need to ha- like you. Your offenses are changing so quickly. And so it just hurt even more this year because if you weren't able to acclimate that, you all of a sudden found yourself behind all these other programs that already had it, like LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, stuff like that. So yeah, I thought that was a great point. Uh, We'll move on to your last thing that you look forward to in 2021.
0: All conferences and leagues playing at the same time. I will not tell you, like, to where I, I... There, there were uh, I know some leagues to where they had midseason drafts of Big Ten, Pac-12 players, but in our league we just decided we'll just stick with uh, the leagues that started all around the, relatively the same time, mm-hmm. which it worked out in the end. But just having a larger pool of players would be uh, it would just open up a realm of possibilities, just you know in terms of points being able to pick uh, you know decent players off the waiver wire instead of just kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel of the SEC, ACC, Group of Five, MAC. So I'm just like... Yeah,
1: like, there, there's leagues for that. Like, I know several leagues that are only SEC and are only Big 12 or only yeah. Big 10 and stuff like that. I'm like, those are fun. I, I think those are fun. Yeah. But, like, I play in a major league for a reason when I have access to all 10 conferences and exactly. such. Those first couple of weeks where it was only ACC, CUSA, Sunbelt, and ACC were awful yeah awful awful because again you had on top of all the cancellations and everything you would already just had a smaller pool of players at that point point. Yeah. and again that's why it's the reason why i lost players like elijah moore who would be incredible down the stretch
0: yeah and i will say from a fan's perspective like for people that don't go to the games just having a full slate of like from 8 a.m to 12 p.m midnight of just college football going on at any moment, you could watch any game instead of just like, well, there's a 10 o'clock game, then there could possibly be a 1 o'clock game if it's not mm-hmm. postponed. There's your 4 o'clock, 8 o'clock, prime time. And then I was like, but it was just a, like the full day where you could just take you. Just, it was just like Saturday was just a, an entire event to where it just from sunrise to sunset it just you could indulge if you just got off from a hard week of school work and then just take the day off, what Saturdays are supposed to be like, where you're just relaxing and chilling, no responsibilities, or
1: mm-hmm.
0: basically just that type of mindset.
1: So, yeah. yeah. My girlfriend is not a big fan of that. She she hates Saturdays in the fall because she knows she loses me for the entire day. Yeah. So, yeah, but I I look forward to having a, a pretty normal season again next year. Yeah. So... I think that brings us pretty much to the end of our show. I'll just double check my notes here. Make sure we didn't not touch on anything. Yeah. I think that covers everything for this episode. Um, we went very, very long here. Uh, we are currently clocked at an hour and 46 minutes for this podcast. Uh, we'll do better in the future to make sure it's not nearly that long per episode. But I'm glad if you're still here. I appreciate y'all coming in, checking us out. Uh, I'm looking forward to this season. The uh, again games are going to be great this year. I'm looking forward to being people's go-to uh, place for college fantasy football, especially here on YouTube. We'll also be available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and we'll be expanding to other platforms as we see fit. And yeah, uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, that'll be the, the probably the main area to contact us. Um, I'm at CFF Jared Xavier is at Fantasy Xavier and so we'll again just follow us we're we're pretty open our dms are open and everything so if you just have questions about your fantasy leagues and stuff shoot us a shoot us a dm or just add us on twitter i'm totally totally cool down down to clown
0: yep don't forget to like subscribe thank you all for staying very true have a good rest of the day all right